Okay, so one of the things that I want to do to try to make this a little bit more fun for you guys is instead of having a question and answer period at the end, what I'm going to say is that while we're having our conversation, if you have a question, if you have something that you think is relevant that you'd like to add to the conversation, raise your hand and uh, Nathan over here will come over and take your question. Now, the one thing that I'll ask you is since we're doing this and opening it up, to have an interactive discussion, no grandstanding and no long statements. Just make them questions. Okay, so with that, I'd like to uh, have our panel introduce themselves. Let's see, we're gonna start with Matt and work our way down. Matt, tell us about yourself. Sure. Hi, my name is Matt Levine and I work for Sony Computer Entertainment as a music supervisor. What that means is that me and the, the team of people that I work with are responsible for placing music in the video games that are published by Sony Computer Entertainment and Sony Worldwide Studios. So frequently that means we're hiring composers, we're producing much of the music in-house, we're contracting with orchestras, but another big part of what we do is we find music to license to put into games. And so I'm coming here to sort of talk about that end of what we do, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Great. Brooke? I'm Brooke Wentz, and I run the Rights Workshop, which is about a 10-year-old company um, business here in San Francisco. We do music supervision. I used to be the former music director at ESPN and have supervised many independent documentary films. At the Rights Workshop, we provide supervision as well as clearance, publishing administration, and some contract work. We also have created two tools, new tools, in order for artists to get their music license rather quickly. One is through my Spoonful music blog, and another one is an upcoming site called Seven Seas. Thank you, Brooke. Dan? Hello. My name is Dan Offhauser, and I work for a company called Gemendo. We're based in Europe, and we are a really large music platform for independent and emerging artists who have waived their publishing collective rights agency partnerships and manage their own rights and so they use our platform to share their music for free and gain exposure around giving their music away for free and streaming and downloading and then we generate revenues for ourselves and for them by licensing their music to any corporation or business that needs music such as Sony who's a big client of ours for their video games and GoPro who's also here today who uses our music in their videos and mobile app developers and anyone who needs music. Cool. Zach? Hi, I'm Zach Rogue, and uh, I play in a couple bands, Rogue Wave and Release the Sunbird, and we license our music for television, film, and commercials, and I also write and compose for, for television, film, commercials as well. Jamie? Jamie Purpura, TuneCore. I started the publishing administration division at TuneCore two years ago, uh, making pub admin available for everyone, not just for elite songwriters, uh, so they could collect worldwide. And we are now into pushing for synchronization opportunities, and we build a one-stop shop online that we're pitching to supervisors. And that is what we do. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so before I start the questions here, I just want to take a quick survey of everybody in the audience, if that's okay with everyone. Okay. How many people here are artists? Raise your hand. Okay, great. Good. How many people here are from labels or publishers? Okay. How many people are here as music supervisors or managers? Okay, great. Excellent. So I think that the best way I want to start off with this is if I can start off with you, Zach. Uh-oh. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> hopefully it's take not a But tell us a little bit about your experience. I mean, as an artist in the development of the sync portion of your career and your business and how it's become more important to the band and to the work that you're doing overall. Yeah, well, you know, our band started, uh, Rogue Wave started about 10 years ago, uh, roughly, based on what I can remember. And when we were starting, you know, we were being given some licensing opportunities and at the time, like, gee, should we do this? I don't know, you know, can we make money through other means? And as you guys all know, the business has changed quite a bit and we began to realize that those opportunities weren't just multiple streams of revenue for us, but they actually opened up a lot of doors for people to just hear about us. So if we had a song on a television show or in a film or something like that or a commercial, that made people want to figure out who we were and discover us. And and, and so it became a huge part of, um, and as we were talking about, we had a discussion before the panel and we had one song that never even came out on an album and it's our biggest song and people knew about us from nothing we'd even put out on an album. So we realized that times have changed, and as it, as times have changed, we've found different ways to reach people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in terms of the song that we were talking about, Eyes, right. specifically, in terms of that song and the uh, syncs that uh, you did, how many other opportunities did it open up for you? Well, it's really hard to know. Actually, I had a really funny experience. We were sound checking once, and... I don't even know where we were. We were like in Pennsylvania and we were sound checking for this radio promo thing and we were kind of playing the guitar and, and, and we were playing the song Eyes and the, the sound engineer said, oh, you guys know how to play the Heroes song, you know? It's like like we were covering a TV show. You know, it's like, wild. Actually, no, you know, that's us, you know? And so uh, it, it's hard to really know. It's hard to really measure. We, we try and look at, you know, data across, you know, there's a whole different sets of data. You know, we had a meeting with Pandora last week, looked at kind of some of the things people tend to like there. It's hard to really know all the time, but um, try and ask people. But I, I definitely saw a difference once we started licensing for, for film and television, some commercials that um, people would tell us, you know, they write to you, they tell you what songs they like, and you get an understanding of where they're coming from. Did you see, like, did you see in terms of metrics, like more downloads, more listens? Uh yeah, the first actually the first time we really got hip to it was back in the day when we, were, when we started using MySpace, mm-hmm. and we could kind of they tell you what songs you know what had been kind of streamed or, you know the most, and we saw right away the spike in eyes once we put that up there. Like, oh, okay, two million times. Okay, that's one somebody some must like. You know, so it gives you an idea, and you know, it does make a difference in terms of when we're performing or we're creating a set or something. We're on tour. We, you know. We want to be able to play what people want to hear to some extent, you know. Right. So, and it we can you can tell. I mean, you can feel it in a room when you're at a show and people are connecting with a song or something, or people want to hear something. When we start playing that song in particular, sometimes it gets it tends to get a response because it seems to have reached the most people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then I, I guess the next question I have, I'm going to uh, throw over to Matt. So Matt, tell us, um, okay, first of all, I want to get back to promotion in a little bit, but I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your general process in terms of how um, Sony Computer Entertainment uh, works with artists either to produce original works or to license. Like, what's your process, basically? There, well, um, it's really messy. Um, there's, it, it, it's been, as we were, we were having a little bit of a dis- discussion before this started, there's, there's really two different sides of this. 
One might be if we're working on a racing game and we need a, you know, a, a pile of really exciting, fun tracks that'll kind of play in the background. Another thing that we, uh, the other side of licensing that we do is a lot of times if we've got a big AAA title, we'll want an iconic song or two that, that kind of is like the title title sequence or something like that. So they're kind of two different processes. And the um, finding music to license, uh, a whole bunch of it, is a, sort of a messier process because mm -hmm. of all of the different libraries and the different tools that are available. Uh, there's no real consistency there. Right. So I'm hoping that you know somehow in, in this conference we can kind of address some of that and maybe find some solutions to it because it's, it is really difficult. Uh, to find one library that has a deep enough catalog that's got enough stuff that you can have, you know, maybe I want to license 70 tracks or something. I may, I may not find that many out of one catalog, so now I have to go to different catalogs. And, and so that, that can be a, a difficult process. Right. Um, another thing that I haven't, I'm just starting to see now, uh, I noticed that a lot of people raise their hands uh, who, who are artists or if you're working uh, for, for a publisher and trying to get your music placed. One of the things that I'm just starting to see is uh, making STEM level uh, recordings available. And I would love to see more of that as, you know, as a music supervisor. We don't need the same kind of traditional things of a 30 second, a 60 second, and a, mm -hmm. I mean, those come in handy sometimes if we're doing trailers and things like that. But frequently, because of the way video games are put together, we really need that STEM level access. So if you wanted to you know, set yourself apart, I might only be looking, you know, depending on the needs of the game, I might only be looking in the area that has STEM level uh, uh, available. So that's just something to, I wanted to put out there. Okay, and now, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Um, STEM level is if it's split out, so you've got, you know, uh, drums, bass, guitars, keyboards, vocals, because we don't, you know, we'll, we'll need to customize, there, there's two reasons for that. One is we'll need to customize frequently to a trailer or uh, an in-game cinematic, and we need that level of control so when the dialogue comes in, you can take the, you know, take the main melody out or whatever. But then the other thing is that with the interactivity in games, a lot of times we need those uh, that level of control so that you know when the monster pops out of the cave, that all the you know all the intense stuff comes in, and so uh, we that's a big part of what we do, and we haven't been able to do that yet with licensed music. That's always only things that we can do that we produce internally because we need that level of control. But there's no reason why we couldn't. Right, and if you're a composer and you've got your rig together where you can, a lot of our composers have set up their rigs so that they actually print stems while they're printing their main mix. So it's not a whole lot more work uh, as a composer to do all of that stuff at once, but it's it's going to set you apart and it's going to it's going to make you much more valuable to to guys like me. And and it's interesting that you say that, Matt, because I do know a number of musicians who are doing that on the stem level yeah. to you know specifically provide people like yourself with what they need. That's really very interesting. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna shift it over to the technologist in just a second because obviously there's a question to be answered from what he said, but I'd like to get Brooke's perspective first. Do you concur? Is it different with uh, what you do? Tell us a little bit. Uh, well, I used to do more of what you did when I was at ESPN because we had to deal with, there's three ways of getting music for any type of production. One, in the cheapest way is by hiring a composer. Uh, two is by using a music library where both the sync and the master are together. And if you're in this conference, I hope, or in this room, I hope you know what the difference between a sync and a master is. Um, 
And then the third and the most costly way is by getting licensing um, commercial music, which has become more onerous. Um, I mean, I hope my colleagues might agree with that, uh, with the consolidation of the record labels mm -hmm. and the publishers. Um, and the prices have gone up uh, ridiculously um, in, in crazy media ways. But um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have the opportunity to use stems, um, but I understand entirely what you're talking about, so I understand that. I mean, I would, if you're talking about delivery, uh, people need to put their names and contact information on things would be a good start. <laughs> the other thing I, I might add that this, I had a discussion with somebody I met last night who uh, is out of London, uh, well he's British, but he lives in uh, LA and works at a trailer house and, and we were talking about what's interesting about technology is that on a daily basis, I probably get about eight to 10 emails with full album downloads or compilations from publishers that say, here's our newest release. Everyone from like a Sony or a Cobalt to, hi, I'm Jim from you know Argentina. I've written scores for blah, 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 blah. Here's my link. And honestly, it has become entirely unfeasible for me to listen. Or it's not even about listening. It's about you get it on your desktop. And I do most of my listening in my car. Mm -hmm. And I really would like to go back to the old days where we got stacks and stacks of CDs. Because I could actually take a handful of CDs, put them in my car, grease pencil the songs I like, throw them in the, down the bottom of my the seat next to me, and I could still find them and still know what I'm doing. But even on a trip to LA, which I recently took, and my colleague told me how to take the new songs that were downloaded, put them on the desktop, then bring them into a new playlist called New Music on my phone. I went to, down to LA listening to 120 different tracks, and even in listening to them, I couldn't tag them as to which ones I liked and which right. ones I didn't. So it's become someone out there, you guys, somebody's got to at this conference, like create some way. <laughs> because it's absolutely impossible. And then when you get all this music on your computer, how the hell are you supposed to um, catalog it? I mean, I know there are other people in bigger companies that have big, expensive things that they can use to put this in, but they also have interns and put the music in. But for me, I honestly, you know, I remember things like, okay, you know, the record had that orange sun on it, so that's the one I want. That's the one of, you know, Michael Franti's records I want, or this one is that. I mean, I like still looking at spines, but maybe I'm just getting old. <laughs> no, I, 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 wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, and I think that, I think that you're bringing up a bigger issue, which is the issue of, you know, how much time do you have to discover things, and like the miscategorization of things or non-categorization of things that, that just complicates a music supervisor's job. So now, I'm going to come to you guys on the technology side. What are you guys doing to help these guys to get what they need as quickly as possible in terms of whether it's proactive, whether it's search, whether it's an algorithm, tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, our platform actually has, we have two ways that we help music supervisors, and that is we have a, a massive library of music that's overwhelming um, for them. So we have built a very robust filter system mm -hmm. um, where if a film director, let's say, has a scene with a, a Greek woman and a Persian guy and they're getting married, um, they can go in the filter and say, I'm looking for a song with a sitar and a bagpipe sung in Greek. Um, you know, with a flute, and all the songs that have that will just spit out, mm -hmm. and they can just listen to those tracks and find and see if those those tracks work for what they're doing, um, and they can do that on their own time uh, at midnight, three in the morning, whatever they want, um, and actually even complete the license on the store, or they can work um, on, on the other hand with our music team. So we have music mm -hmm. specialists um, who we actually also call music supervisors, but they're not; they're mm -hmm. creative 
officers, I guess, and they work with the supervisors to filter out because they know our catalog better than anyone mm -hmm. um, to, to give them what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And Jamie? Uh, we're, we built something similar, but we are not excluding the rights in any way. In other words, it's, it's administration. If we distribute the master, we can also license the master and the publishing if we have the pub admin included. And we have it sortable, things like iTunes sales, month, year. This is brand new. We're about to um, basically expose to uh, every supervisor we can find. So basically what you're doing with this is you're not only giving search, but you're also giving metrics to the yes. uh, supervisors so that they can see a popularity of a track, a trending over time. Yeah, and but things. like what she was saying earlier, too, a lot of it's relationships. It's who knows of who. Of course. And uh, we just hired a creative, but there's going to be more on the way, who have those built-in relationships. When I was a bug for all those years, it was the relationships with people that made the, the, the cuts happen half the time. The other half the time was Johnny Cash, gee, never heard of that, glad you pitched it to me. They know what they're looking for half the time. Oh, but yeah. on the lower level stuff, or the stuff that's not as exposed yet, or not as valuable yet, that could be valuable, we want to make sure that there's still value in that. We want to make sure the, the unknown artists, they're not giving away a $250 fee when they could have gotten $5,000 for it. And we've right. had it happen already on sure. several occasions. We even asked them, so what would you ask for this normally before you had an administrator? I don't know, 500 bucks? Well, we got them 12,000. So it's, you know, it's having the expertise of that licensing in-house. Um, once you get to that level you're talking about, um, getting them what they're looking for is challenging, especially the, the gates open with distribution. With iTunes and all that, the gates open. So all of a sudden you have thousands upon thousands of artists, and yeah, it's, it's difficult to sort through. And yeah, you use those metrics. That's part of the battle is the metrics of how you find them through searches and, and sales and who's rising to the cream of the, to the top of the, you know, top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. However, the relationships also have to be there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually the relationship I think is important because, you know, for example, what Brooke is saying, uh, as a music supervisor, each person is very unique and has their own method, their own style. She obviously likes CDs. Um, I have some clients that like to just stream the music. Mm -hmm. um, I have others who prefer USB drives. I have others who want us to create an FTP for them to download the MP3s. So mm -hmm. it's important to ask the t company or the supervisor you're working with, what's your method? You know, what do you guys do? Uh, or, or what do you personally like? How do you listen to your music? Because all I want them to do is hear it. If I send them CDs and they like to stream, they're not going to listen to my stuff. Yeah, so they're fickle. It depends on yeah. which one's who's who. And now we know Brooke like. likes CDs. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Actually, I guess you should just chime in on this. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I frequently do like to listen in the car, but normally if I'm looking, if I'm looking seriously, I'm, I'm at the computer using a lot of different tools. So. You know. I'm at the computer too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you don't just drive around all day. <laughs> yeah. no, I, so, don't, I, mean, I don't live in LA. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't need to. No, so, so one of the, one of the things that I think is really important here, and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to Zach in a second about this, which is the relationships. I think that relationships with music supervisors are 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 an ideal way to connect um, your music with a music supervisor, but that's not always. Uh, it, it's not always uh, available or it's difficult uh, to connect to the music supervisor in the right way. So my question I'm going to give to uh, Brooke and Matt is this. Um, you know, outside of the personal connections that you go to in order to um, get the music that you need for a particular project, 
Are you open to or are you actively using systems like Dan's and Jamie's to find music? And do they work for you? What are the, what are the good and bad points of those? If they don't work for you and if they, or if they do work for you and if they don't work for you, what are the things that you would like to see? <laughs> wow, that's a big question. Big question. I, I'll, I'll jump in first and then, yeah, I'll give you, give you plenty of time. I, uh, the, well, there's, there's two different things. There's sort of two different tasks. One is mm -hmm. the uh, actually looking for music that you're going to license. And the, the other part of it is looking for a band or a composer, mm -hmm. right? So if we're looking through uh, uh, the different catalogs, we're just sort of... Uh, uh, have to use whatever tools that they have on their site. Most of them are, uh, you know, some, some are better than others, but we have relationships with all the major libraries and we just go through and we have to suffer through however good or bad their, their tools are um, right. and, then, and then just use, use that. Uh, as far as composers, uh, orchestrators, uh, instrumentalists, all those go, we actually have a database that we use internally where all of the different people in our team uh, may come across somebody and so they enter them into the database. We have right. a very open mm -hmm. sort of discussion going on. Hey, we've got this project. It needs this kind of music. Anybody come to mind? We'll do a database search. We'll have discussions among the different supervisors and managers. And then once you get that down to a list of people that you're interested in, and this is probably the most applicable to, to the people here, is if your music is on a clear, clean website where I can quickly see who you are, what you do, and click and start hearing music, and just you know sort through a few really high-level things, I can at least get a sense, is this a person who is at least in the ballpark of what we're looking for? And so it should be clean and clear and simple and not have a whole lot of stuff on it. Just you know a few examples of your music, maybe a short bio, a pic, and that's it. More of an EPK than a bunch of links and things that go all over the That's place, right? right? Yeah, because we only have a, you know we're limited time to go through a whole lot of music, and so I just want to see who are you, what do you sound like, what are your strengths, and then you know just keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. And the thing is, your internal your internal database is that something that you guys built yourself, or are you using a third party? We built it ourselves. You built it yourself. I, I would expect Sony would do that. <laughs> okay, and Brooke, and Brooke, your feelings. Well. <clears throat> Honestly, the quick search, well, the filmmakers, they've got all the time in the world, so they're, right. and they're the most picky. Mm -hmm. um, television moves a lot faster. We, we, we don't do that much TV up here based on where we were at, at ESPN. We did a lot of TV and we had to move. We worked with the libraries a lot. Um, what we have that's really quick moving is corporate. We'll have somebody who comes in, a, a company, um, a well-known company that's working through a branding company and they need something because they can't afford the $24,000 uh, annual fee for streaming mm -hmm. rights by EMI or something like that. So we try and find them something. So essentially, I'm and I'm looking for indie bands because they want something that sounds like Daft Punk, for example. Believe it or not, uh, or you know, I mean, how obvious is that? So, right. um, <clears throat> the, matter of fact, I just got an email. So I think we're gonna have somebody compose something that sounds like Daft Punk. I'm like going, oh my god, you just can't be serious. But. Um, what I do is I do go to sources that I know that have really good um, indie catalog and they've got good taste and so they know that we need something that's right on the money. It's hard, honestly, for me personally to use these type of bigger sites because I don't have, for me, if I have people in my office working for me, they can go through those, but I can't because I actually once had to go through APM's library once over Christmas <laughs> for a client and it drove me nuts because I got, I signed up, I got my thing, as you were saying, the, the tools are difficult. And then mm -hmm. I, the, the client had given me the, the code number to search, and believe it or not, you couldn't go in and put the code number in and search a song like that. And I was like, what? So I had to you know, email them and yeah. say, how come I can't search by your, your, your ID number? They're like, well, our system doesn't do that. 
All right, well, that's like retarded as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so it just depends on how much time. Each one of these tool sites, you have to sign up. You have to understand how those systems work. You have to be able to know how to use them. And so I think, you know, I'm just a normal person. There are probably a few that I like and I know how to work with them, and so I will work with them. Mm -hmm. And others, you know, I've had people come in and, and do demos for me, and that's, that's helpful. Um, it just depends on the system. Okay, so there but is also our needs. It's really hard. You go to a corporate person, you say, "Oh, here's a piece that sounds like Daft Punk, but it's not. It's library music," and they're, they're going, "No, it's not authentic." Enough no, I want me. something for me. Yeah, they yeah. want something with name cachet. And Did you? I'm sorry. You Are these mostly libraries that oh. that you're sorting through that way, or is it original <laughs> material? I'm sorry. Is it mostly libraries that you get in those formats, or is it original material from independent Um, No, artists? it's original material. And it usually We is. go through like Silverside, and okay. um, just because he's he's local, or I go through Danny Benier, or it's really the music pluggers that that have all the indie stuff. Got I it. mean, um, you know, Bank Robber, or, or so the ones that, that specialize. Well, you say I've got a two thousand dollar budget. Here's what I've got for a one year corporate streaming. What do you have? Right. I mean, I'm not going to go with EMI's $12,000 right. aside. Are you out of your freaking mm -hmm. mind? My <laughs> clients were willing to pay $6,000 aside, which is a total of $12,000, but they're not willing, they're not stupid. Right. They're not right. going to pay $24,000 for a song from the 80s. Are they out? I mean, EMI has gotten like out of hand, but oh, that's, yeah. you know, I can tell you about a few other places too that have gotten out of hand. Bad memories of the 80s? <laughs> what? You got bad memories of the 80s? No, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I would I would say there's there's a lot of problems with the publishers, but I'll I'll yeah. I'll, 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 I'll table that for a moment, Matt. Sure. We're going to take you, and then we're going to take question from the audience. Okay, sure. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on something you said before. Did you say that composers were the least expensive right yes. in the beginning? Yes. So, because you get the sync and the master together, and it's a, usually a buyout. But maybe maybe I'm not understanding. So if you if you want to let's say produce five minutes of music uh -huh. versus licensing five minutes of music? Well, in a film, you would get a composer to do most of the score, but yeah, well, like one cue for a film would be $10,000, where you can get a composer to do a cue for you for 1,000 or 2,000 bucks. Right, but then the production costs, you're assuming, would be like- Usually they're included when the composer- Right, and, okay. Okay, all right. Okay, and from that, just uh, tell us who you are and where you're from and your question. Hi, I'm Jim Lynch. I've worked with a couple of people on the panel before. Um, but um, do you think with the ubiquity of the streaming services and the mushrooming of their libraries, do you think someone could write a plug-in that would put like a workbook into the streaming services? So Brooke, you could accomplish what you want, is keep a list of the songs that, that impressed you. And then you could get what you want out of the streaming service, a clean, uh, simple interface to say, here's a piece of music, here's the artist, Maybe I want to go with this. Well, I mean, that seems like something that would be obvious to have in both of your cases, but what is the answer? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> go ahead. I'm glad that was the answer. <laughs> Please build it and let us know. Um, well, I mean, a lot of companies, for example, like at least like ours, we have an API that is access to our entire catalog that, that somebody can take and build something like that so that they can then run their own business and, and do offer it to, to these types of, of companies. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you're a supervisor and you and you come across something you like on a Spotify, as an example, you're going to go, being in the business, you're going to look at the ASCAP BMI CSAC database yep. and see who administers it. Yep. And my message to the independent artist and songwriter is if you're not represented, if you're not songs aren't registered, they're not going to find them there. They're not going to request the license. They don't, And if they do request the license and they do find you and you're not represented, you're not going to get the proper fee. 
unless you work with us. <laughs> because right. none of, for example, none of our artists are associated with these collective rights agencies, and they've decided to manage these rights themselves. And so they use us for this particular reason to get their music licensed and to get half of the money that is do, earned. Do from you that then license. grant performance licenses as well? Uh, there, there is no performance license. They have to be a performance license if they're going into on the television. No, well, it's a, I, would, it's a, I, I disagree with. Yeah, that. Well, we're they, gonna get into it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. If they if they haven't registered with any company and they've waived those rights and they manage them themselves, then there's no one there to collect for them. Right. So you no, should be charging for that. Oh, we are. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's why I said, do oh. you include that meaning? Do you conclude it in your verbiage, in your license, and in the fee? Yeah. So you're effectively the PRO? Effectively, yes. Okay. But half, Fair you enough. said? Yes. Is it half of all the revenue? Yeah. So, so the sync fee, of the master fee, of the performance royalty, it's half. So if somebody licenses a track for $10,000 for a, a TV show, mm -hmm. the artist gets five. And the, the reciprocal royalty of the performance that's included in that? You can think of it as, 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 a, as a blanket license, I mean a, a, a solid all-in license, I guess. You know, uh, it depends on how you look at it, but it's just, they, they are not associated with any PROs. So there's no one to collect that part. So it's, you can essentially look at it as the master. They're licensing, paying for the rights to use that track, um, and they get half. Yeah, but the, there's, there's revenue generated when that, when that performance happens, so where's that money going? It's just sitting with the society because they're getting it all, right? No. So no, if it broadcasts it, in Germany, Game is sitting on the money if no one claims it. No, the J Game is not uh, sitting on the money. The, 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 the track is prepaid. So like, I want to use this song for this TV show, um, and we work out a deal before, and it doesn't matter. You know, They might say, well, we think we'll air this one time or 10,000 times. It doesn't matter. Um, and they pay so for they're the clearing the performance license with you at that point because there's no affiliations. What you're saying? Exactly. Okay. So from, I, I want to get back to uh, Zach. We've gone back and forth on a bunch of issues here. What's your perspective as an artist on all of this? Well, I've been to some of these conferences before, and really? there isn't too much artist perspective. There is sometimes, but I think that there's. Uh, a rush for expedience because people are so busy and I can understand that you know we uh, my band has an album coming out soon and we did a we did some promo over Pandora last week or a couple weeks ago and they were really nice and they did this presentation with us and they showed us kind of how their algorithm works um, to some extent and they took one of our songs kind of one of our more popular songs and they showed us how they break it down and how the algorithm kind of works. And I'm looking at it and, you know, you know, and granted, there's different kinds of licensing, you know, but there's this kind of, uh, algorithms can only work so much, you know, and what's, what turns you on to music is, it's, it's, a, it's an emotional type of thing. And a lot of times when I've seen a film or a television show that has really effectively licensed something, you know, in a kind of iconic way or just in a really beautiful way, I don't think any kind of search engine would ever really do that. You know, I remember uh, watching the show Eastbound and Down. You ever seen that show? Mm -hmm. And I think that show is hilarious. And there was this moment at the end of, the, I think, the second season, the very last scene of the last of the finale. And it's a really crass, kind of really off-color show. And there was this moment where the main character kind of realizes that he's a complete asshole. And the song comes on, 
And an algorithm never could have chosen this kind of obscure B-side of this Kurt Vile album. And um, it's one of those magical moments in television I've ever seen. When this song comes on, it's arresting, and you completely forget the, the crassness of the show. It really heightened the show to something of beauty, I think, where it was just, it was incredible. And because the song was so perfectly placed, and I don't think you could have really found, so I understand that there's a lot of different kinds of licensing, and sometimes you need to be expeditious. You're like, God, I have a deadline, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, there's a tight budget and all this. But I think we also sometimes need to step back a little bit and say, well, there's a balance between being expeditious and getting rights cleared, and there's a client who has a specific budget, but are we also devaluing music uh, at a certain point? You know, we gotta balance that, that question a little bit, and you know, we were, you know, and again, there's all different kinds of licensing that occurs, but we were talking before, and you know, we, uh, we had this song that wasn't used uh, on our album that's coming out, and we used Bank Robber, and the reason why I like Bank Robber is because they are our licensing company out of New York, and one reason why I like them is because they have a staff, and in our main contacts there, they really know our catalog very well. They know all of our music, they know all of our unreleased stuff, they know everything we've done, and so when they're pitching something to a supervisor, um, or if I'm speaking with super supervisors, they're talking about specific songs that they know will work, so they can they can be expeditious because they're cutting to the chase. This song will work for your project. So we had an extra song that isn't on our album, and Lyle uh, at Bank Robber knew that this he had this one song that he really liked that we didn't put on the album, and he felt like it would work for what they needed for the Iron Man three soundtrack. And he spoke to people and he got it done, and you know, I think you know. I don't have a problem with taking that, but you know, I feel like they should pay a lot of money for that because that's a movie that's going to make gazillion dollars. You know, so yeah, I feel like, and that's not an, that's not the exact example we're talking about with a five thousand dollar project. But what I, all I'm saying is that, and again, I'm speaking from the artist here, but I feel like you know what? Yeah, they should pay for that, and and I have no problem with doing that. And I, I think um, we need to always remember when we're having these discussions. Why we're here, you know it, and I and I know it's the classic like please don't fucking call it content, but really, you know, we are it, you know, if and granted, sometimes we need things that are more like wallpaper, which I understand, or background music, or you know, there's all different kinds of music that can be licensed, but I think it's also always important to remember that a lot of times we are talking about music and we want it to work properly and we want the artist to be paid and search engines and algorithms can be effective for certain kinds of things that we want to do and those do have value and we do want to make certain supervisors jobs easier um, but I think there's another side of it and ours is more personal and relationship based I mean, would, would, I, and have would, staff that know what they're doing have licensing companies where their staff actually knows music really well and they can serve things up to you and help make your job easier so wouldn't wouldn't you say though that the you became more successful because you started out with smaller cuts and then other things happened and other things. It steamrolled. One thing led to another, right? The Iron Man thing wouldn't have happened without several other things preceding it or the relationships being in place prior. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said before, we kind of started before, you know, we started about 10 years ago and things were a little different then and yeah, we sure. kind of built up our name and, and we were in a position to be able to do that. And, exactly. and if I was an artist right now today, you're probably right, you know, maybe I would try and work with a service to kind of get somewhere because every artist realizes that, you know, and again, why I'm talking about placing a value on music is, you know, also remembering that 
artists have to figure out their streams of revenue so they can survive right, and right. licensing and, and is you, the only you way to do that. You increased the value of your copyrights by that route. You didn't decrease them. You didn't give anything away. Well, they're still trying to get us to do that sometimes and we always say they, Yeah, they tried, but no. you stuck to your guns and you had proper <laughs> you representation to. and yeah. the licenses were done properly. Yeah, I mean, and a good lawyer. Yeah. My my feeling my feeling on this and this is, you know, riffing a bit off of what you've said, I think that it's extremely important to have these relationships and have people like Bank Robber who are able to help you connect. If, you know, a, as an artist, it's very good to have this because uh, they can really get your music into a variety of different types of media if they know your music and they love it. But at the same time, and this is really where I would say technology has a role, whether you're, whether you're an artist that's just starting out and trying to get synced, or you're an artist that um, has had some syncs already, and maybe Zach, this isn't this this doesn't work for you guys, but I think that there are a lot of artists where using a service such as uh, the services that these guys have would be very very helpful to you because um, music supervisors will be able to find you in a different way. So I would say that it's really a sort of a mixed approach that would work best. I mean, Dan, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it just depends on where you are in the ecosystem. Like, you know, I'm sure there was a time in, in Zach's career and Rowig's career when a service like this would have benefited them, for sure. Um, and then they got to a different level or a different place in the ecosystem where they either wouldn't use, for example, what we do, or they would use it just purely for exposure. You know, to I mean, these days a lot of artists give song or a song away for free. So to use you know the four million member community of a company like us to just get exposure around the world um, could also benefit for a different place in the ecosystem. Right, it just depends on where you are. Jamie, no, no, I I, I agree. I'm, I'm still I'm still taken aback by the not affiliating with any society bit. <laughs> oh, God, I, it is a bit of a different model. Well, no, but, but, I, but I have to I have to ask if that now this is going to sound like rocket science to everybody in this room, but if you're not affiliated, especially outside of the United States, and you have sales on iTunes or Spotify, there's mechanical royalties, and the same society that does that also does the performance. So you're leaving other money on the table, and I'm just, I'm sorry, but it's early Well, no, no, I mean, spending. I think it's a valid point, I don't wanna to drill too, down, too much down into this particular yeah, issue, but crazy. I'm thinking to myself, well, um, if um, you're, in, uh, you're on iTunes Japan, Jazz Rack is gonna be all over you for that, aren't they? Yeah. You know, so how do you guys deal with that? Well, so we're a very unique business with a very unique model that started in, in 2004, um, allowing artists a platform to gain exposure. And it was really geared towards independent emerging artists, the long tail artist, um, not the larger artist that has, is building a career focused on that. Um, and these artists um, did just that. They built a community of sharing their music, waiving those rights. And we have artists that you know, get hundreds of thousands of, of streams a month, hundreds of thousands of downloads, um, and they're gaining exposure um, around their brand, around this, by giving it away, waiving those rights. Um, but, so but I have a big problem here because, you know, the thing is, is artists want to become artists and they want to make money. Like Zach, I'm sure, would like his music to be successful so he can continue being an artist. Right. And these artists who are getting their music streamed, if they know that they can make money without doing any work because their music's being streamed, why would they not want to take that yeah. money? Well, so they definitely would want to take that money. Um, and it probably depends on where they're at in, in their career. So right now, I think an artist who's streaming their music um, and getting you know $41 from SoundExchange um, 
is a little different than streaming their music through us, doing licensing deals, and getting paid $2,000 a month. So we have some artists who are making, you know, 32, 33,000 euros a year. So a lot of money, that's $40,000 a year, um, by us licensing their tracks on this part of our business because they're gaining exposure on this side of the business. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very unique model. And you know what? Some of these artists, they're still with us. Mm -hmm. um, but when they get to a certain level, they might sign a deal with a record label and move out. And when they do that, they're gone. They're out of our system, and they're, they've gone to a different place in the ecosystem. Okay, so two quick questions. Um, when an Actually, artist signs like up with you for licensing, yeah. give yeah. me one second. Yeah. When, when an artist signs up with you, are they uh, locked into an exclusive? What are the terms? Just not, real quick. It's non-exclusive. It's non-exclusive. Yeah. So, okay, so then potentially mm -hmm. I can also work with Jamie. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And Jamie, can, is it? No. no? He can't. No? I, I, you sign with him, you can't work with me. Well, it's no. up to them. <laughs> okay, so you're, are you exclusive or is this just a thing between us on the panel? On publishing <laughs> administration, yes. On the composition, that intellectual property, yes, it is exclusive. Okay, so when somebody signs up with you. Yeah, because in order, in order to collect from all those hundreds of channels, you have to be, you have to have that administration right. Oh, yeah. um, and another little tidbit is there are lots of companies out there who are much larger than us who try to do what we do and need content like this. So for example, if any of you guys have ever heard of Getty Images, um, they also have a whole music licensing component to their business around royalty-free music um, and a lot of that content. They don't have direct relationships with artists getting the content, so they come to companies like Gemendo and we give them the content, so they suddenly do. Okay, we're going to take, um, uh, Zach, go ahead, add your, add your point, and then we're going to take a question from the audience. I'm really sorry back there, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, the panelists can do that. Well, I, Not you. <laughs> Zach? I just wanted to uh, make one other point, and just because there were artists in the audience that raised their hand, and you know, we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about supervisors and being able to license, and, and I want to say, um, you know, talking about artists being able to like, make money, and I just want to say a little something about the responsibility of artists as well. Uh, and, you know, a lot of bands, songwriters want to figure out how do they get their music out there, and how, you know, how do you reach an audience, and should you go with these services and whatnot, and I will say that there's a lot of things to do, and, and you just want to talk about getting started, and you know, were talking about, well, now you, I can make these decisions now, but you know, when I was actually starting out, we're talking about, actually, you were talking about the song Eyes, right? Yeah. And that was written in a time where, you know, I didn't really have any relationships with any music supervisors. I didn't know. I you know we had, you know we were on a label, but it was kind of it was kind of green, and I took it upon myself because I said I want to be able to write for other things, and so I just started looking up and researching music supervisors and asking anyone I knew, and I didn't really even know what a music supervisor did, to be honest. In fact, you know, I just would contact people and ask them if I could just meet with them. I'd go to LA and meet with them, and I met with this one guy who was a supervisor. He let me go to his house. He didn't even know me, but he, he knew my lawyer. So I went to his house, and I said, what do supervisors do? And he told me about it, and I said, oh, because maybe I'd do that someday. I, I don't know, I just wanted to know because I was curious, and he told me about what he worked on. I said, wow, you know, um, Thanks. You know, I would write something anytime just to, you know, if you, and, and I was shocked, but several months later, he contacted me and he said, I'm working on this movie and we don't have a love song for it. Would you mind just writing a demo? And I went crazy. I wrote 10 love songs and like fully, you know, and I, I, I you know, like the next day and, uh, and he contacted me and he said, this works. We want to use one of these. In the so I recorded it the next day 
and it was that song Eyes. Right. And they used it in the, in that movie, and then it was and so, uh, you know, and there was a lot of luck in that that they actually chose a song. But what I'm saying is that for those of you that are artists, you know, you also have a responsibility where. Don't expect because you have a catalog. Oh, should I wrap it up? You have to be um, proactive. Don't, you, you, yeah, yeah, don't expect exactly. because you have a catalog that, oh, hopefully I'll get lucky and something will get licensed. You know, you also have to, you know, bust your ass and reach out to people. If you want to write for things to get things licensed, then you have to make those relationships yourself and hopefully that will blossom into other people doing things for you. But, you know, you are your own boss. You know, you better make it work for yourself. And he's absolutely right. Hard work. And, and pushing to music supervisors, researching them, finding out who they are, and getting in contact with them and exposing them to your music is extremely important if you want to be successful in terms of licensing. Now, with that, I'm going to take a question from the back, and I apologize to you, you had to wait. Speaking to the mic. I've been doing this for about 40 years, so I'm probably the old guy here. And the, Dan, the thing that you're doing is probably okay for young artists, but I've got copyrights and artists and writers that we've been making money from with and for for 40 years they would have shot me if i would have made that deal for them because they were their their lives yeah. that some of them have written three i represented i still represent a fellow by the name of jewel share had we made 11 records put 11 records on record deals for him never sold more than 30 records 30 30,000 records all through the night two songs on the first cindy lauper record if she knew what she wants all through the night and a song for Alison Moyet. He's made a hundred grand a year besides the big years towards the end. It's been 30 years. I would be mortified if I had done that, number one. And I'm not saying for new artists that it's not a good idea, but there is a problem, especially overseas, with your income being left on the table, like Jamie says, and it now with all the technical stuff, with all the new world that we're all got to be in also, uh, with the, with the internet and and the and the different streaming and stuff like that, money is going to get clogged over there that they'll never see. So what you're saying is basically forget all that, forget all the, the that streaming and just look at the exposure. As I said, if I would have done that 40 years ago, I would have had a bunch of starving people at my door with guns. It would have been like Soylent Green, or <laughs> one of those movies where they were after me as Charlton Heston trying to eat me. Right. It just right. wouldn't have been wouldn't have been a popular so boy. Yeah. Today, I guess it's so busy and whatever, but. I do believe in the personal approach. I believe in the internet. I believe in the modern world. But it's still about getting the music from your ears to your heart to your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's really what it's about. And oh my. it's it's the, all this technical stuff is all wonderful. But if it's, I still I still CDs, you know, and I still send out blasts of music supervisors and and, and uh, independent pluggers, and, and we get a lot of them. But two weeks ago, I got an eight thousand dollars deal from somebody in South Korea and the money came in and it, it, it never heard of the guy yeah. somebody passed an old CD of ours to okay. him and he wanted to use it for an yeah. internet and the question yeah, what's the question I have no question I'm oh, okay <laughs> then let's wrap it up okay. all right thank you well I'll cool. just say real quickly that I, I completely agree with you I mean you're 40 you're your artists who've been performing and playing for 40 years and are in Sydney Lauper albums uh, probably wouldn't be a good fit for Jamendo. Um, they would Jamendo would be a good fit for an artist that no one's ever heard of that you're just starting to work with that is coming out with their first album um, that wants to get some exposure um, and also work with many other companies not just us we're non-exclusive um, and see if their music would get licensed in our in our platform 
um, and see where it goes. Can, can I mention something about, Thanks, we're, we're talking oh, yeah. about artists and uh, there are a lot of artists in the room. Um, a lot of times we get approached by uh, younger composers and artists who are like, you know, how do I get my music in a game? And uh, a common question for them to ask is, what kind of music are you looking for? And so I just wanted to address that, just in case anybody was thinking that. Um, we're looking for everything. And I think that the most important thing that you can do is be really, really, really good. Because you, know, you, you do need to get yourself out there. You need to market yourself to a certain degree. You need to have your stuff out there, whether it's on some service, whether you've just got a website and you go perform live or whatever you do. But the way we find music is, as I said, in our group of people, all the million different contacts that we all have, we'll, we'll find the right person for the job. And if we're looking for something that sounds like, you know, Eastern European, whatever, you know, I mean, whatever it is, we never know because it's always dictated by the game and what the game is calling for. And as you know, I mean, if you're familiar with the world of video games, it's everything, literally. We do every kind of music. And so, what you have to do is be really, really good and keep writing great music, and then we'll find you. Can I make a comment, though? Sure. D don't you think that when you get stuff, what uh, is that wouldn't you like it if someone's really, really good at techno or really, really good at hip-hop or really, really good at classical when they approach you? Or do, they like to, do you like to get things that are like really, really good from all different genres? Because when somebody honestly reaches out to me and says, Brooke, I'm this great composer. Here's, I do all different styles. Here's my stuff. Or they say, here we have a catalog. Here we have all different genres. I almost get really annoyed because I don't, I would rather that they be more specific because then I know this is a go-to person for that. This is a go-to person for that. I can't remember the last time we hired someone who gave us a demo that had a hip-hop track and a rock track. And we just don't, that doesn't tend to work for us. We tend to find like the person who right. does, okay. yeah, I do yeah, this yeah, yeah. kind Specify. of jazz or this right. kind of, and we I'm just gonna person. add in, just from personal experience, one of one of my friends who's actually a pretty popular Japanese DJ, really doesn't have any exposure here at all in uh, the United States. However, he made a concerted effort over the last four years to um, really uh, dive into sync. And his uh, sinks are in commercials for Forever 21, for Verizon. He's never come to the US. And you know why he did this? Because he was really, really good at one thing. Right. He was right. really That's good at saying. electronica, really good. and yeah. he dived into it, yeah. right. and really, really like, got into the market the right way. Then yeah. I recommend that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And what do you guys have to say? <laughs> Anything to add? No, I do. <coughs> Stuff that's good finds its way. Yeah. Good songs find their way, but you have to be represented. And that's that's the point of our platform is well, representing. how do you guys help those songs find You're their represented. way? You're represented. Again, the technology is not just about the music being available, but also the contact information being available, mm -hmm. tying it to your website, tying it to all these different things. Everything, I'm in a band myself. I got 20 things tied together. Um, and it works, you know. The Brazilians love us. I got a tour down there. Wait, it's very cool. <laughs> Interstate blues. Just it's there. like it's like classic rock, blues rock. It's noty guitar stuff. But you know what? Down there, they love it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's finding just like how we just found our audience. You got to find your audience with that. But it's you know I agree with what they're saying. You're good at this thing. I'm not going to turn around and do a salsa track because it would be awful. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, what, it's, it's, it's not your thing. Right. It's not, it's not what I do. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, plug in Marshalls and make racket. And that's what I do. And if they're looking for that and we make it available to everyone and they can find it very easy, it makes it easier for them to find it, that's cool. 
And yeah, that's what our what, what we're saying is we're trying to make that very easy to find. We're trying to make it one-stop shop, but at the same time, all the other rights hold uh, the right holder keeps their rights. And I'm a very strong believer in keeping that intellectual property to yourself and hiring someone to manage it for you without giving it away. Um, and uh, okay, so I'm going to ask Zach now. So. Based on what we said over here about um, you know not just the hard work with what which was what you said but also really drilling down into what you know and doing it best has that been a, a part of your approach when you've been uh, connecting with music supervisors and going for licensing um, opportunities? Well, we've realized that you know it's got to be a multi-pronged sort of effort. Um, you know, we, since we've been doing this for a little bit now, you know, we have different people doing different things. We have our management, uh, you know, reaching out to folks. We have our licensing company. Our label has their own uh, licensing folks. But, uh, you know, really, I, I, I like talking to people myself, you know. So I'm always in L.A. and I'm always meeting with supervisors that I just happen to like and that I think do good work. And when I have a new record coming out, we sit down in the office and we listen to music and we talk about our lives and we talk about what they're working on and I talk about what I'm working on and try and actually share a common interest there and, and try and, you know, that's the kind of licensing I'm into. And we've, we've licensed stuff for, you know, some shows and stuff before that maybe it wasn't a show that I watched. Actually, I had a surreal moment. They, they used one of our songs on Dancing with the Stars <laughs> and it was like <laughs> this orchestra and these... B actors are dancing, you know, it was kind of silly, <laughs> right. but, um, so, you know, that stuff happens because, that you know, that, yeah, I know, like, I was just imagining that people in the orchestra are, like, singing, like, what do these words mean? It was just so <laughs> strange, you know, but for the most part, you know, I, I'm, I like people, and I like, you know, the, the industry that I'm in feels very small, and so it's nice to know there's people who do different things, and we all have different roles, and then if I am writing for a certain project, and dealing with a director or wh whoever, um, I find that it's easier to get things done um, if I know the people play. I, I scored this, uh, this series on HBO, and I knew some of the people involved in the project, and so, you know, when you're doing, there's so such iterative work that's going back and forth. You have to make changes, and you, you know, and, and so I found that I really liked the people I was working with, and I knew them, and so we were able to very quickly, you know, drop our egos and just get stuff done very quickly, and, and I really was happy with the result, and I think everybody really liked the project, so, you know, it still is, and all the technology we try and use, it's still, it's still a lot of it comes down to relationships and people and not just who you know but how you relate to those people right. and you have to be willing to communicate and and be persistent you got to always be reaching out to people whenever I have something new I'm working on I'm always checking in with people and letting them know um, not I mean not to really be a, I mean sort of be a pest but also to to keep those relationships going so our project I it you know out music you know can't thrive unless it's being licensed right now in a lot of ways so. I think that's I think that's a very important point and uh, Dan just very quickly from your perspective going along to what they were saying in terms of um, in terms of uh, artists finding the right artist mm -hmm. and uh, bubbling up to the top yeah. how do you guys help that? well um, that's the fun part um, you know first we have to get the partners who need the music and have the budgets to pay for the music mm -hmm. um, and and then the fun part is is feeding them the stuff that that would work so right. um, our our you know, if you're just looking for one song for a project, you can do that online with us. But um, we're doing bigger deals like 100 songs or 1,000 songs. Or even with Sony, we licensed 2,000 songs for a project. Um, and then 
depending on the project, then it's like, oh, you want that kind of music, you need to hear Professor Click, because he's amazing, and everyone's mm -hmm. using that. Or if it's rock, it's like, you need to hear We Are FM from Amsterdam, they're amazing. And these bands start getting the, mo you know, the most licensing deals. So there's a handful of artists that are you know, making two, three thousand, four thousand dollars a month from us, mm -hmm. just from the licensing, and it's because the employees at our company think that those are the best of, of the So best. they're helping them bubble up. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so um, unfortunately, unfortunately, it looks like we're almost out of time here. So um, I'm gonna just have an exit question with um, everybody here on the panel. And hopefully afterwards, maybe we can all say hello to you if you'd like to talk to us. Um, okay, so the exit question. If there's one thing, oh, you wanna you want, to, you want to be the exit question? You be the exit question, mm -hmm. go ahead. We'll be okay if we're a minute over. I mean, it's, it's their conference, <laughs> not ours. Tell us who you are. Hello, I'm Faith Chaco. I'm an artist. Um, I do world music. And uh, most of the services that I've seen so far that I'm getting in my email, it has every music except for African music. I specialize in world music and African right. music. Okay, we're almost out of time, so yeah. get to the question. Anything out there for me? Yes. <laughs> We have a new platform coming out that actually we're going to try and pitch to get an engineer uh, full-time because we are pre-revenue, new platform for searching for world music via a country by a map. Cool. So if you'd like, you can talk to Miriam or myself afterwards. Okay, great. Now we're going to have one exit. Everybody tell us the most important thing that you can do to get in front of a music supervisor, starting with Jamie going down the panel. Me, I'm, I'm trying to get stuff in front of them. I ain't tell you that. <laughs> well, they're the artists. Tell them maybe they oh, should join you. Yeah, I mean, right, you know, right good trying to give you a plug. Offer them drugs, write good stuff. That's my advice. <laughs> okay, fine, Zach. I, I think, you know, figure out who the supervisors are on projects you want to be involved in and be, really? by any means necessary, get in touch with those people. Dan. Yeah, Make Brooke. a list of 10 people and don't stop till you get a hold of two of them. Brooke. No, on Zach's thing, know exactly who you're approaching and like don't go to like the Treme show with like hip hop music or you know, know what you're going to. Like don't, you know I do action sports, so come to me with action sports music. That's it. Yeah, I want to I wanna echo that and say that a lot of times people come to us and say, hey, here's my music and they don't know anything about the games we're working on. So do a little bit of research and uh, find games that you think that you can really bring something to. Know your market and work hard. Okay, thanks everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs>